Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. We've been looking at a series over the last several weeks on called to be different, how God has called us as Christians and disciples to be different, to be distinct from the rest of the world and and today we continue that as we look at the concept of scriptural holiness in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 13, where Peter writes, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children... Do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Back in the early days of the Methodist Church, John Wesley was at a Methodist conference and was being interviewed. He was being asked a variety of questions, and one of the questions that he was asked was, What do you think God is doing in trying to raise up a people or preachers called Methodists? I mean, what do you you think God is seeking to do with these people, these preachers called Methodists? And Wesley is quoted as saying that, that it was to spread scriptural holiness across the land. I I love that phrase, to spread scriptural scriptural holiness not just holiness but scriptural holiness across the land what's interesting though is that's not the full statement actually when you look at the notes and you look at the minutes and you hear you know what the actual interview said what wesley actually said when he was asked that question what do you think god is seeking to do with his people or these preachers called methodists his answer was to reform the nation particularly the church, and to spread scriptural holiness across the land. But to reform the nation, and then Paul's, particularly the church, and to spread scriptural holiness across the land. Now, John Wesley was what is affectionately known as a PK. Now, do you know what a PK is? A, a PK is a preacher's kid, right? And preacher's kids, by the way, get horrible reputations. You know, preacher's kids sometimes are, are known to be wild or, or they're known to be rambunctious. They're known to be loud. And, and I just remind people, the only reason that preacher's kids are the way they are is because they grow up with your kids. Wesley was, I'm kidding, obviously. So no emails, no letters, no phone calls. I was kidding. 
But Wesley was concerned about the church. He was a PK. He was a preacher's kid. His father was a priest in the Church of England. He himself was a priest in the Church of England. He was a very educated person, a Lincoln Fellow, a tenured professor, and a brilliant scholar, but he was concerned with the church. Wesley believed, and this is 1700s, remember, he believed that that the church, for some reason, had abdicated its responsibility, given up its responsibility to transform culture and to transform the world, but rather had allowed the world to start transforming the church or culture to start influencing the church instead of the church influencing the culture. And so he was concerned about that and, and he sought then to, to be able to, to have a renewal. That What we're going to have to do is is to transform, to reform the nation. But it would have to start with reforming the church. For the church to be reminded of who we are and and what we're called to be. So he said, and to spread scriptural holiness then over the land. Dr. Henry Knight of St. Paul's School of Theology says that, that this is what gave Wesley's Methodist a distinctive identity to be a, a different kind of people to spread scriptural holiness. He said it's, it's actually what gave us our distinctive mission to spread scriptural holiness. To be the people that God has called us to be. And, and, and so the question becomes how do we determine what holiness is? And, and Wesley was very clear holiness is determined by God. To be holy and what it means to be set apart, what it means to be different is something that God determines. That's why he referred to it as scriptural holiness. Not holiness where we think, you know, let's, uh, let's get together in a Sunday school class following this meeting and, and let's just kind of, we'll kind of devote on, you know, what do you think is holy? All in favor that this will be holy? Okay, so we'll do that because that's holy. What about this? Okay, let's vote on that and okay, we'll make that holy. There's a hubris inside of us sometimes that, that leads us to believe that we actually are the ones who get to determine holiness. Wesley said it's scriptural holiness. We, we turn to the scripture to see what is God saying to us. He began an intense study of the Bible to try to discern who is God calling us to be as, as the people of God? Who is God calling us to be as the church and Wesley studied to the point that he, he began to refer to himself as homo unus libri, a, a man of one book. A man of one book. Karl Barth, great theologian, also once said that, that every preacher, every theologian, and I believe every Christian should have two things in their hands. He said, you have the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. Because you're looking at what's going on in the world and then you look at the scripture to go, how do I make sense out of it? And how do I know how to live in that? How to be in that? How to act in that? When you study Wesley's writings, Wesley let us know very clearly that there were four things that we used to determine that which we believe. Albert Outler, who was a great Wesleyan scholar and theologian, actually coined a phrase or a term called the quadrilateral. And it was one of those that after he named it, he regretted it and was trying to figure out how do I take it back, but it kind of caught on. And the challenge with it was is, is that there were four things that we used to determine that which we believe, but, but Albert Outler was concerned that quadrilateral implied equilateral, and they're not equal, that, 
that the first one, the primary authority that we have and the way we determine what we believe is Scripture, but it is primary. It's above all else. Scripture is our primary authority. And he said, this is, this is how, and Wesley was, if you want to know what we believe and why we believe and how we believe and how we're to be and how we respond, what does the Scripture say? I mean, we, we share on Sunday mornings when I read the Scripture before the sermon, we go, this is the Word of God for the people of God. And you respond, thanks be to God. I mean, we believe that this is, there's something different about this book. That it is God's way of speaking to us as His people. And, and then we pray that God would inspire through His Holy Spirit that we might be able to hear a fresh word from God through the reading and studying of the Word of God. That's one of the reasons why I have taught Bible studies from the beginning of my ministry. I, I've taught disciple Bible study, and now on Wednesday nights we've done things like Revelation, and now we're going through the book of John. And one of the reasons why is because how can we be the people of God if we haven't heard what God says about it? So Wesley believed our primary authority was Scripture. But then... We're not the first ones who's ever read this Bible. So the second one was tradition. What does tradition say? How have other people read it? It's why I have so many books on my shelves. And I pull up and go, how did, how did this scholar read it? And, and how did this early church theologian read it? And, and what has been said about it before? So we use tradition. What, is, what has been said before? What, is, what have others? What has the church said before on this? And the third one was reason. Because Jesus said, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and your mind. And so as I study the Word of God, and I use my reason to try to understand it, what is God saying to us? And, and the fourth one is experience. Experience. But, but it's not just to be, you know, what is my personal experience, but rather as I study the Scripture, how does the Holy Spirit convict me? What does the Holy Spirit inspire me to see? How do I hear a fresh word from God as I study the Scripture? But the Scripture, well, that's the primary authority. Scripture, tradition, reason, experience. We're called to be different, and the way we discern that is through the Scriptures. Peter is writing to the church, and he's reminding us that we're called to be different. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when He is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. But instead, as He who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. That word holy scares us a little bit when we start thinking about how in the world can I be holy? As a matter of fact, one of the critiques of the church is when we start thinking we're holier than thou, holier than others. And, and that's not the point of it. It's not like that I'm something special, but rather what is God doing through me? Do I allow God to work through me to be holy? Be holy, Peter says, quoting God, be holy for I am holy. That Greek word is hagios. It means to be consecrated, to be made sacred. In other words, not that you do it, but you're made holy by God's grace. 
It's interesting, Jesus says a similar thing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that word, the Greek word is teleos. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, to be consecrated, set apart, to be moral, to be sacred. And what's interesting is, even though it may sound like two different words, be perfect, be holy, both Jesus and Peter are quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. Both of them are quoting the exact same scripture. In Leviticus 19, 2, God says to Moses, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Well, why do they use different words? Well, you have to remember, here's some trivia for you. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Okay? The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. By the way, anything that I tell you and you win, like who wants to be a millionaire, Jeopardy, something else, 10% comes to the church. So the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek. And so what happens is, is, is both of them are quoting from the Hebrew. It's translated over into the Greek with two different words, but it means the same thing to be set apart, to be made holy, to be sacred, to be consecrated by God. Both Peter and Jesus are quoting God himself and, and Leviticus 19 to be holy and then Peter helps lay, what does that look like? Well, he says, prepare your minds for action. Actually, some of you may have uh, the King James or the New King James or a different translation of the Bible that may say, gird up the loins of your minds for action. Because literally when you play with the Greek, that's what it's implying. And the reason for that is if you turn back to Exodus chapter 12, you will see as God is kind of setting the children of Israel up to celebrate the Passover, that high holy day in the life of the faith. In Exodus 12, verse 11, it says, Gird up your loins, put sandals on your feet, hold the staff in your hand, and eat in a hurry. Because it's a reminder of the children of Israel fleeing slavery in Egypt. So, so it's gird up your loins for action. Sandals on your feet. Staff in your hand. Eat in a hurry. You've got to be doing something. And Peter's reaching back there. Gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your minds but for action. See, we're called to be the church and that, that's more than, than let's get together and have a little intellectual exercise. But now prepare your minds for action. How are you going to live it? How are you going to be it? Not simply understand that you are the church, but how do you live as the church, as the people of God? Discipline yourselves, he said. Some of your translations say, be sober-minded, clear-headed, focused on who God is calling you to be. Diligent with your hope on Christ. And remember, you're called to be different. He says, do not be conformed to your earlier desires, the passions that you had when you were ignorant. Now, just remember, there is a difference between ignorance and stupidity. Ignorance simply means I don't know about it. I'm uninformed. I'm uneducated on that. You do not want me to do your neurosurgery. I'm ignorant on that. Not my gift. But that does not mean I'm stupid, right? So what's happening here is Peter is saying, 
Do not be conformed to your earlier desires when you didn't know better. But you're smart enough that you know better now. You know better now. You know who God is calling you to be now. So don't go back to where you were when you didn't know better. Now you do. So be the people you know you were called to be. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God is calling you to be different. God is calling you to be the church. God is calling you to be holy. And Peter writes, so then be holy in all your conduct. Not just in your mind, but in your conduct. Because being a Christian, being made holy, it's who you are. It's not simply what you do, but who you are now reflect in who you are and what you do. In other words, be holy at home. Be holy at work. Be holy at night after work when you're traveling and at a hotel a long way away from your family. Be holy. Be different. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world is doing. They may not know better, but you do. So don't go back to where you were when you didn't know better. But be who God is calling you to be now. I'll never forget spending some time with a good friend of mine who was a sergeant in the Winston-Salem Police Department. And, and he was sharing with me one day that you know, when they, have a they would have a convention in Winston-Salem, he said, you know, he'd be in his, his uniform and, uh, and all, and that, that sometimes he would be sitting at a table in a restaurant and some lady would walk by him and just lay down her hotel key and keep walking. Wow. And he had to remember who he was and be holy in his conduct. We have to remember who we are. And be holy in our conduct. Well, the scripture is clear. God calls us to be holy. God himself. Leviticus 19, verse 2. Jesus himself calls you to be holy, to be different. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Paul calls on you to be holy, to be different. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And Peter calls on you to be holy. To be different. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. Well, how do we pull that off? Well, not on our own. There's just no way we can pull it off. It's only by God's grace. Only by grace. You know, when we baptize a child, we recognize that that child is beginning a journey, a journey in a walk with Christ. That's why some people call it christening. We'll ask what name is given this child. And it's Christianing. We give the Christian name. But when do you name? You name a ship at the beginning of its journey when it's just been made and 
and it's about to hit the water and carry out the purpose for which it was designed. And you go, I christen thee, and you name it as it goes and begins to fulfill its mission. We recognize in baptism we're beginning a journey. Or as an adult, we recognize that that we have now accepted Christ and we're beginning a new life in Christ. It's a journey. We only do it one time because, well, it's an understanding that we're beginning a process. It's celebrating God's grace that saves us and makes us whole. But this, this table we're about to come to, we do this again and again. Because this is about sustaining grace. You see, the difference with the table is we are reminded when God calls us to be holy, He also said, I will be with you. I will inspire you. I will empower you. I will enable you. I am with you. I'm your God. God did not look at you and go, calling you to be holy. Good luck with that. I'm calling you to be holy and I will give to you my spirit, my advocate. I will be with you always to empower and inspire. So we come again and again to this table reminded that God so loved us that that he gave his only begotten son that through his death we might be forgiven and through his resurrection we might have life. But through the giving of the body and blood of Christ, we are now made new made holy by God's grace. It's it's not of your own works so that no one can boast. You are saved by grace through faith. But we keep coming back because God will sustain us in our lives. You know, there's a saying, you are what you eat because what we eat goes into us and becomes part of our being works its way through our bodies and our being. We are what we eat. When we come to this table, we receive once again the body and blood of Christ so that Christ now becomes part of who we are. And He sustains us to be the people He called us to be. We are called to be holy but with scriptural holiness.